Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I want to talk about legalism. I have a definition that's even easier than last week. And legalism is simply this. It's the wrong use of rules or laws. Okay? There's great rules. There's great laws out there. But sometimes we end up using them the wrong way. We actually abuse them. And so, no, you know, for example, we, we come to a church or we come to something and we've got all these funky rules. And even though we joke about this hats and tats here, this has made some of you uncomfortable. And I find it so funny. I really do. I, because it's like God's finally getting a hold of you where he needs to get a hold of you. And you've got to have this freedom that he has for you because he wants you to see him as he is. And he wants you to see yourself as you are in his eyes, okay? And so we get all these crazy things like no Christian should have a beard. No ladies can wear lipstick. This happened in the South a lot. You have to follow a liturgy. In other words, every Sunday I have to preach what I'm told to preach, not what I believe the Holy Spirit is telling me to preach. You have to have a dress code. We don't have a dress code, you know? I usually have jeans on. Today's a different day because I I didn't have laundry. Um, Denominations, all right? Denominations. Well, well, I'm a part of this church. I'm a part of this denomination. And so we've got a corner on the market. If you're a part of a denomination or even the Bridge Church, and we said we've got a corner on the theological market, run! Run! You know, if you can't ask questions, if, if, it's, if it's all that, then run because you're in this legalism bubble and you'll never see out until you have the freedom that God has intended for you. You know, or baptism. Well, well man, not, not every piece of my body went underneath the water. I've got to get rebaptized. Are you kidding me? Like, come on. Come on. I, I, I've heard everything. And, you know, we can only have a certain kind of protein once a week. Not picking on any religion there. At all. I didn't say fish on Fridays. I didn't say that, okay? And what I'm saying is, we get to this point where we feel that we have to follow all of these rules, and it becomes overwhelming. And dear God, if that's what we're supposed to do, then I don't want to be a Christian. Nor should you, okay? We just go valley fair the rest of the day or something, alright? Here's the deal. We, my wife's saying no, she won't go. It's storming. That's when it's the best, man. That tests your faith on the wild thing. Come on. Steel venom, a whole new ride. <laughs> will you live or will you die? Let's go. All right. I got to get back on track. I want to give legalism a new name today. And you've probably heard this name. And if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the church, this might be a little confusing. And I want to unpack this this morning because... I often hear this, but I want to give you just a different word for legalism, and it's this, religion. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Have you ever heard anyone say, they're a religious person? Some of you have said it. <laughs> I've said it. I used to say it. What does that even mean? Well, I'm a religious person. <laughs> I, I don't know what the heck that means. What, what, what does that mean? Because here's what religion really does. I really don't know. I have no... I've studied it. I've looked at it. I don't... I, when somebody says that to me, that doesn't scream I have a relationship with the living creator. To me, it screams like, you have the suckiest walk with God that I don't want. And the reason I say that is because I don't want it to be this judgment and condemnation and I feel like i got to follow the rules and here's what religion does. If you're with me, say yeah, because I'm going fast. Okay, religion causes judgment towards others. 
That's what it does. Religion, what it does is it grades you. It gives you a grade. It gives you an A plus or a B plus. Or did I follow everything right? Did I have the Ten Commandments right? Did I, did I memorize all 66 books of the Bible? Did I have them right? Did I have them in order? And you go through all of this and it gives you a grade. Like, how are you doing on your Christianity? Well, today I think I have a D minus. You know, I don't think that's what God intended. Or religion makes God a boss. You know, God is like the undercover boss. And he's always looking for you to like say when you messed up and then talk to you at the end of it. Or religion is also fueled not by faith, but by fear. It's fueled by fear. Well, you got to do this. you got to do that. You should do this. You should do that. You didn't do this. You would have done that. You could have done this. And it's this shame-based fear constantly with religion or legalism. Same thing. And so today, we need freedom from religion and grace and relationship with Him. That's what it is. And so... I want you to know, I don't care what your past is. I love Becca sharing her past. Mine is very similar. I did not grow up in the church. It wasn't until I was 17, part of a great church, where where I was able to question and ask the pastor things. And I still talk to him today. And I said, hey, I want to figure out this faith thing and have relationship. Today, today, before you leave here, you can have a relationship with the living God. Okay? You don't need to go through the pastor to have it. You don't need to go through a priest to have it or an elder or a deacon. You alone can have relationship. Well, my wife's a Christian, so I'll just let her talk to God on my behalf. You wuss. <clears throat> no! You are called to have relationship with the... Li- well, I'm not good enough. Yes, you are! Well, I, I, don't, I don't know my Bible well enough. I don't either! Okay, like, all of this, you know, I don't have it all memorized yet. I don't, I don't know, I'm not even close, all right? Just to say it. But let me give you the difference here between religion and relationship because that's really where we are and we're going to unpack this because some of us might say, I'm good. I've got the relationship with God. I have the, you know, I'm walking with the living God and the Creator. But yet there might be just a few things that we don't even see. And remember last week, if you weren't here, we talked about how when we're trapped in a legalistic bubble until somebody tells us, we can't see it usually. Because we're subjective. That's what we talked about last week, the difference between subjectivity and objectivity. Let me talk to you today about this. Let me just give you a difference here. I will give you what religion is, an example from my own life, and then relationship. Here's So take the Sabbath, for example. The Sabbath, that's, that's what Saturday is supposed to be. Saturday literally means Sabbath, not Sunday, believe it or not. And in our culture, it's become Sunday. But uh, that doesn't work for a pastor, because the pastor's working on it. Anyway, um, so Saturday, is supposed to be the day of rest. Now, we learn that Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I have a friend who grew up in a... Uh, uh, didn't grow up in church, became a Christian, and then his wife was a part of a different denomination. And in the denomination, they believed that they had to have church, they had to do everything on the Sabbath, but on the Sabbath, so tightly guarded that it became legalistic. What one of their parishioners would do is he would literally in their home on Saturday so that he wouldn't commit a sin, he would tape all of their light switches so he wouldn't turn it on or off. That is religion. That's religion. That's, that's ridiculous. I don't think God's up in heaven going down at you going, I can't believe he turned that light switch on today. You're going to hell. I, I just... I don't believe that's God. I don't see that scripturally. I don't see that anywhere in scripture at all. I don't believe that's the God in whom we serve. Here it is, for me, the relationship. My wife and I, we tried to do a Sabbath once a week. Sometimes people will text me on Saturday. I won't get back to you because my phone's usually not by me or it's off. And so on Saturday, it's about my family. Why? Because I have to and because God's going to love me more? No. Because this is a day that God has given me that I'm going to invest in my family because I want to. 
Because I have a relationship with Him. It's not something I need to do and I have to do for God. It's something I want to do. Now, I have a, th- th- we have so many weddings in our church this year that some of them are on Saturdays. That becomes not, kind of a working day and that's okay. But guess what? We're not going to, well, I'm going to hell because i got to do a wedding on Saturday. Sorry, can't do your wedding. Sorry, guys. All right, can't, can't do it. All right, there's four of you, four couples getting married in the next couple weeks. So it's cr- you, Yeah. Try to keep the premarital counseling straight has been one of the biggest challenges I've ever had in the last couple months. It's been fun. Share a story with you and you're like, I think that was the other couple, Chris, not us. No, it's been good. But then I still need a Sabbath, but God's not going, I can't believe you did that. That's not the God in whom we serve. I think Jesus would do the same thing. He would show up at the wedding, all right? Let me, let me uh, share one thing with you, and then we're going to dive into the rest of the message. Um, I, this, is, this is one of my top five favorite books that I've ever read, and it's by Richard Foster. It's called Streams of Living Water, and it's, it's a thicker book, but here's the deal with this. What he does, and I love this, he takes all the different traditions. He takes, for example, the charismatic Pentecostal spirit-filled church, and he goes, man, they're really open to the things of the Holy Spirit. And then he looks at Baptist traditions, and the Baptists are going, man, it's all about the Word, it's about the theology, it's about looking at the discerning factor that we have to go back to the Word constantly. And then he looks at more Lutheran and and Methodist and Wesleyan traditions, and he goes, man, look at these traditions, and these traditions really, you know, are, are about social justice and the way that we do church and the ordinances. And he goes through all of these, and he gets to the end, I don't want to give it away, but what he does is he says, what about taking all the good from each of them and making it into a holistic church. And it's all about Christianity. And I love it because he marries them all together rather than like rip on all of them. He takes all the good parts and he brings it together. So this is what I did today. And, and this, uh, a lot of this comes out of this mindset of how can we look at Christianity holistically and learn from our brothers and sisters that maybe are part of denominations where we don't see eye to eye on certain theological issues. I don't see anything wrong with that because I believe we're all brothers in Christ and if you think we get up to heaven and it's just the bridge church in heaven then I think we got it wrong. Amen? So I have, I bought an extra copy. This is my extra copy. Who would like it? Anybody out there? So first one up here. I don't know. You have to give that away after you're done reading it. Alright. Okay. So here's the deal. Let me give you one more example. And uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. We'll get there in just a moment. The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Even when I hear the Lord's Prayer, all I think about, I'm just being very transparent with you, is religious garbage. That's all I think about when I hear it. I think it's lifeless, boring, stagnant when I hear those words. The Lord's Prayer. I grew up, my, my parents uh, were alcoholics their whole life. When I was about nine years old, they went to an AA place and they became sober. And I had to go to the meetings all the time. I hated them. And, and I would go. And all, every meeting would start going through the 12 steps. And then they would, they would recite the prayer. And they would recite it over and over. And they didn't even believe in Jesus. They just believed in a higher power that was bigger than them. And I sat there going, if I have to recite this prayer one more stinking time, I'm, I, like, I, and it, it got to the point where I don't know if you've read it or you even hear it. And you, right now, you're probably reciting it, King James Version. And, and you're reciting it. And, and you're like, 
God, I say this and I don't even know what this means. You know, we read it and we're going, ah, so let me just break some religious permits with this, okay? First of all, not one place in Scripture does it say to close your eyes when you pray. We all do, all right? Number two, it does not say how long each prayer uh, should be or how long it should take. You know, well, I got my prayer in today. Check that off the box, you know. <laughs> I'm done. Or, man, I said the Lord's Prayer. I'm good. I get to go to heaven now. Or not one place does it say, speak softly, quiet, monotone, or address God if He were from England. <laughs> What what saith the Lord, the Lord's Prayer today? Like, can you imagine going up to your kids and say, Dear Silas, come with me, we're going to the Dairy Queen. (laughs) Seriously, but I know we laugh at that, but that's some of the way we actually think God is. We think He's speaking a different language. He's speaking the love language for you. That's what He is speaking. How many of us have recited that prayer? You don't have to raise your hand, but without thinking. Okay? Let's reset. This is, this is NIV version. It's going to mess with you a little bit because it's a little different because it's non-King James 16th century English. This is today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, which is still old name, old word, be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's actually where it ends in the NIV. There's another verse where there's more and you probably are reciting the more. Don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to see though. We say this prayer over and over. And this is just one example. Now, it's, it, I want you to see that it's not about how we pray. It's not about the words that we speak. It's about the motive of the heart when we do speak. Okay? And so look at the beginning of this. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. The beginning says this. This then is... Is it up there? Oh, can we go to... There we go. This then is what? How you should pray. Jesus didn't say... Here's your photocopyable prayer. This is it. You know, there was no Xerox yet. There was no printing press yet. We couldn't do that. He's going, you want to know how to pray? Here it is. And, I'll, and, and if you go back a couple years, you can find, I talked about the Lord's Prayer a couple years ago. I don't want to go through all of this. But I want you to look at the beginning of this. Our Father. This is a personal, relational address to the living God. Our Father. You're holy. I want your way, not my way. God, I know all my provision comes from you. I want you to love me and I want to love you and love others the way that you do. I just said the Lord's Prayer in my own words. You can too. It's personable. Okay? Our Father. Our Father. Your Father. See, we can repeat it or we can live it. I'd rather live it than just repeat it. I don't like repeating it. I don't know. You know, we do communion at our church once a month, usually. Sometimes more, sometimes less. And, and honestly... It's hard to even do it once a month for me because I don't want it to become a religious thing that we have to do. Well, it's an ordinance of the church. We have to do communion or the Lord's Supper. I want it to be relational and realize this is my God who sent His Son to die for me and that I get to partake in His body and His blood broken for me. Not something I have to recite or something I have to do. I want freedom in that. I love what Corey Ten Boom says. If you don't know her story, very powerful. She says this, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Isn't that good? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? And if we look at it as something we recite and we keep in our back pocket and we look at it as the get out of hell prayer, it's a spare tire. If we live it, God, you're, you're my God. I wake up today, I want, you, I want to give you the day. I want to learn more about you. I, God, am I doing what you want me to with my life? And you have that relationship ongoing. Every single one of us can have that. Okay, you don't have to go to Bible school to have that. 
Sometimes I think that brings you further away from God, honestly. Okay? That's the reason they call seminary cemetery. Alright? It is. That's what can happen. So, today I'm going to give you a test. Who loves tests? You are sick in the head. But here's the test I want to give you. And if you're taking notes or you have your phone, I want you to write these down. Because I believe this will help you discern what areas you need honing on. What areas in your faith walk are you still bound in legalism or religion? Okay, you can interchange those words. Galatians chapter 2.21 says this. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, a.k.a. legalism or religion, Christ died for nothing. If you think you can do it on your own, and you can, you can cross all the T's and dot all the I's and get there, then Christ didn't die for you. That's what Paul said. It's pretty harsh. Okay? Paul wrote about a freedom that's yours. It costs nothing when it costs God everything so that you could be free. Anybody want to be free? I do. I want to be free. I want to be free. So here we go. I've got um, basically seven questions for you. Okay? We'll go through these pretty quick. The first one is this. Number one. Do you lack genuine joy? Do you lack genuine joy? Let me explain. I have met Christian after Christian, and some of them, they're just bubbling. They're like, they're, they're on fire for God. They love God. And then there's those times where I have met Christians who, it seems like they're always attending a funeral service. Like everything's always negative. Everything's always so bad. And I'm going, what happened? There's joy in God. There's joy in the Holy Spirit. There's joy. And He wants you to have this freedom. And I'm not saying, it's not about circumstances. This Paul wrote about joy while he was in prison. Paul wrote about joy when he's about to get killed for his faith. So it's obviously not about circumstances changing. It's about character developing. And so God's taking us on this journey to get us where He wants us to be. And that's in freedom, not in bondage. So if you're lacking that genuine joy, realize that God has it for you today. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, The kingdom of God, not you, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's downtroddenness. I think I, gotta, I have to die for my faith. Everything's bad. Blah, blah, blah. No, there's, you can't do that because there's actually no such thing as joyless Christianity. You can't have it. You, you, it's, it doesn't exist. If you have a joyless Christianity, you don't have Christianity. Uh-oh, I'm not very joyful today. You make me sad. Time to be joyful. Realize you can't do it on your own. You've got to realize that He died for you to have that. And when you look in the context of legalism, what happens is we go, well, I can get there. I can, I can get there. And you know what happens? You never do because you're your own worst enemy. This used to be me. I didn't understand the grace of God and the context of which He gives it freely. Well, it's judgment and justice. Yeah, God's the perfect judge, but He's also the perfect one. Agape love. Somebody mentioned agape this morning. It's wholeness of love that He has for every single one of us. Number two, here you go. Do you struggle with real, real victory over sin? Here's what I mean. Don't get me wrong. Every single one of us, including myself, struggle with temptation. Okay? Every single one of us falls short. We all do. And, and, and we can talk about that till we're blue in the face. We can, we can all go around having a kumbaya meeting about our sins that we committed this week. And we will be here for the next like three years. Alright? 
Maybe just me. Maybe you didn't sin at all this week. I'm sure I have plenty of times. Okay? But what happens is a person with a legalistic mindset finds it super difficult to receive God's grace to overcome a sin that they've dealt with life after life after life after life after life circumstance. Over and over they go, I've got to go back to that. And it's this what we call habitual sin that we're in and we're going, how do I break out of this? And what happens is we go, I got my plan in place. Here it is, plan A, B, C, D. I wrote it down. I've got it. I'm good to go. I can do it. I got it this time. You know, and you go through everything in your mind. This, this time it's going to be different. I'm going I'm to put this in place so it doesn't happen. I'm going to do this. And then what happens a couple days or a couple weeks, you fall back into that same temptation. Here's why. It's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's that you're relying on you and not God. God's going, stop that. Just rely on my grace and I got it covered for you. Follow me is what Jesus is saying. It's that simple. Because it's not about what you do. It's about what he already did. Okay? There's no difference when you look at the joy that it brings with the grace that he gives. They're coupled together. They're married together. Number three. Everybody said number three. Alright, you're with me. I love it. Do you have unhealthy performance standards? Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I did for a long time. Some of you still do. I, I figured it out. I got there. I arrived. So far from it. Some of us are still feeling like we have to earn this because it's, it's our culture, man. If you, if you work, you got to do the best to get that promotion. We're trying so hard to work that ladder and figure it out and make, make it all work and, and get there. But God is this loving Father and He wants us to lavish in His affirmation and in His encouragement. Yet so many of us don't have this revelation of God's unconditional love. We, we feel like we've got to keep earning it. We've got to do more. We've got, we got to read the Bible more. I'm not reading it enough. I don't know it well enough. I don't have as good a prayer life as you. And we get... That's legalism. That right there is legalism. You know, we're performing other religious tasks. Maybe, I don't know if you ever felt mad that you know, God got mad at you because... You know, you overslept and you missed your morning devotion time with Him. If you don't have a morning devotion time, maybe you're mad already because you go, I'm not even there. I'm with you. He wants to spend time with you, okay? It's, it's not like, I've got to do my devotions, I've got to read the Bible, i got to... He's going, don't you want that? Out of a desire not to... Not because it's something I have to do, but I get to that process in a relationship with Him where it's something I want to do. It's something that feeds my soul and it feeds my spirit. You know, I, I think He just wants us to chill out sometimes and enjoy His love. You know, the book of Revelation is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Coming this September, we're doing a Bible study called Deeper, uh, which we do once a year now. And we're going to do our best to get through the book of Revelation in a year. I doubt we'll get there. Um, but... Uh, I've studied the book so many times. I've read that book more than any other book in the Bible. And, and one of the things that it really talks about in chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's seven different churches to which the book's written to. And one of the last churches it's written to, it talks about them losing their first love. Here's my challenge to every single one of us today. If you're not sure what that means, what happened is this church was passionate. They were excited. They were in love with Jesus. And then it kind of waned. It kind of went down. Here's my challenge. If, if you're going, I don't know where I'm at in this. If you don't feel like you're in a place where you could lose your first love, then you've never had it. My, I know that's a little owie. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not sorry. But 
because I want to preach the truth, but I want to do it in gentleness and kindness. But I don't want you to feel like you have to have this first love with Jesus. I want you to experience for freedom, for the joy that He gives, for the passion that He has for you. He didn't die for you because He had to. Jesus didn't have to do it. God didn't have to send His Son, but He did. He did. Number five, do you, excuse me, number four, I was ahead of myself. Do you have a critical, unloving attitude towards others? I'm sure that's none of us, but just in case, just in case, see, when we understand how much mercy God had for our own garbage, then it's easy to have mercy for other people's garbage. You know, I I picture myself, like, do we pray judgment or mercy over those we disagree with? I just try to put Jesus in that situation and go, all right, here he is. In what ways would he handle this situation? Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. But I want to be merciful, not this unloving, you know, well, these people deserve it, look how bad they were, or they're sinful, so they need to deserve to die. Man, check your heart, because that means you have a legalistic spirit that is like on the loose. That's it's not for us to judge, that's for God. Okay? Now it's number five. Do you have an obsessive focus on outward standards? Okay, this is what, everything we've been talking about. Some churches in the past, they've condemned makeup, jewelry, pants. You can't even wear pants, okay? Or short hair for women. Like, you have to wear a dress. Others taught it was wrong for Christians. No joke. You can read this. In the last, like, 20 years, some churches still do this. You can't play sports. You can't play cards. Well, I'm going to hell, all right? You can't dance. Can't wear wedding rings. Can't go to the movies. Can't wear jeans in church or even on television. Well, if that's the standard that God has set for us, we might as well go live it up. What are we doing at church? Right? We've got to get it back to this place of freedom. I love what it says here in 1 Samuel 16, 17. It says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at what? The outward appearance, but God looks at the God looks at the heart. This, the, I love this scripture because it comes out of him looking at, at David as king. Alright? I love this. And so what are we looking at? Are we looking the way God looks? Are we looking the way people look? Let's start looking through God's eyes. We talked about the colored lenses that we look through. What if the lens we look through were His? How would that change our joy? How would that change our passion? How would that change the way we relate to freedom versus legalism? It would change it immediately, instantly, if we allow it. Number six, are you still stuck in bondage to religious traditions? I want to talk about the church as a whole right now. Because the Pharisees rejected Jesus because they couldn't leave the old covenant behind. A legalistic spirit says this, this is the way we've always done it before. Nothing will kill a church more than those words. We gotta do it the way we used to do it. What the church that I used to be at, Pastor? We're at a new church altogether. We're a mutt church, man. We want to do what God wants us to do. You know, some people rejected a new move of the Holy Spirit because they didn't like the style of music they played in the church. Some churches today are in danger of missing God because they want to live like it's still 1973. If here's another test. This isn't one of the questions. But legalistic people will tend to fight any new move of God. Any new move of God, we tend to fight if we're in if we're that legalistic spirit. Last one here is this. Do you lack, and this is the biggest one, do you lack assurance of salvation? Do you lack assurance of salvation? In other words, are you not sure? 
Like when you, if, if, and dear God, I pray this doesn't happen, but on the way home today, let's say you get smashed by a big greyhound bus. We can't even recognize you. You're, you're gone, all right? Okay, I know that even stinks to even think about, and I pray that doesn't happen to anybody. But you're standing up there in heaven. You're, you're with the Creator face to face for the first time in your life. And He looks at you and He says, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, if the answer is anything on your own merit, then you've missed it. Because God's saying, He's looking for you to say something to this effect. Doesn't have, don't repeat this, okay? It doesn't have to be perfect like this. But He's looking for you to acknowledge His Son, whom set you free. That's it. It's that simple. Well, I, I missed Sunday church once. I, I didn't give enough. I, in fact, I died and I never even tied that to church. You know what? You don't ever have to tie that to church to go to heaven. You don't ever have to serve at a church to go to heaven. You don't have to conform. All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you receive eternal life. It's Don't complicate it. It's that simple. Romans 8.15 cries out, Abba, Father. It's this personal declaration to who the God is. Not some God way off in the distance. And then right next to it here, I'm flying through this, Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. If the Holy Spirit's been talking to you during worship, during the message, listen because He's trying to bring freedom to your life. That's what He wants. Our desire here is for you to have freedom. One of our four purposes of our church is for you to find freedom. That might be through some sin. That might be through some crazy theology. We want you to have freedom. And if you're going, I've never experienced freedom like this, you have to ask the Holy Spirit today to give you that freedom because He wants you to have it. We want you to go out of here today with whatever spirit of heaviness you came in on and just let the Holy Spirit cleanse that. Go away free. If you're going, man, I'm judgment towards others. I feel like I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to parade around performing for God. I'm in these religious bondage traditions. Look it through and go, God, what's the one that I need to work on? We all can work on one of them. Here's my encouragement to you and close and pray in just a second. Stay with me like one more minute, please. Don't fall for a graceless Christianity. Okay? That's a photocopy fool's gold version of what it means to be a Christian. There is no such thing as graceless Christianity. If you see any of these warning signs in your life, invite the Holy Spirit to set you free. Stop striving. Okay? Repent of the pride. That's just turning around. I'm not going to be prideful any longer. Ask God to open your eyes to the reality of His amazing grace. It really is amazing. You see, religion, what it does is it focuses on how rather than the who. I want you to focus on the who. Not the how. Oh, i gotta, I got to do all these questions now. i got to go home. And... No, you don't have to do that. Then you missed it. God wants you to have freedom in this. Psalm 139.23 Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If you're going, I'm not sure where I'm at. Ask Him. He'll reveal it to you. This is what I want to end with. And it's, uh, if you know anything about the Amish, I was trout fishing last week. And I was trout fishing in, in an incredible stream down south. And there was car after car. And then it was carriage after carriage after carriage of Amish people where I was at. Like it was just, they were super nice. They were waving and all this. And, and I, I wrote, read a book a few years ago called Amish Grace. And it's a phenomenal story of, of uh, the grace that they display. But here's the part that really just messed with me. Is at the age of 16, if you grew up Amish, they basically kick you out of their community at the age of 16. 
They want you to go into the real world for a while. They want you to test it, see if you like it, see if you don't like it, because they don't want to force their, their culture on their children. They want them to decide for themselves and make their, their faith real. I don't agree with everything the Amish do, but I think we can learn from that because what it does is it allows us not to feel like we have to. I have five kids as a pastor. You know what scares me more than anything is for my kids to feel like they have to go to church or they have to serve or they have to do... I don't want that. I want them to choose to go. In fact, I didn't grow up in the church. Becca didn't grow up in the church. And honestly, we have it so much better than all y'all. Okay? Here's why. And I bet you can relate to this. When we gave our life to Christ, it didn't, it didn't happen for me like this. But over a matter of time, it was like my spiritual eyes were opened. I saw things differently. Like my, my motives changed. My heart changed. My language changed. I didn't have colorful four-letter words very often after that. I, a lot of things changed. And I look back at that and I go, sometimes, hear my heart, I wish some of you who grew up in the church didn't. Because I feel like you missed that whole idea of, of what Paul talks about and Jesus talks about, about being born again. You, you go from a lifeless creation to a place where you have to decide, do I want this? And when, I'm speaking for you, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we step into that, all of a sudden, it's not an instant transformation, we're not perfect overnight, but it's this being born anew, your little baby infant, you know, growing into this faith. And I think that's what God wants, is a tender, childlike spirit for all of us. Thanks for letting me take like an extra minute. I want to pray for you guys right now. Would you do this and stand to your feet this morning? Lord, you know our hearts here. You know if there's anybody here that needs you, that all they have to do is cry out and you answer the prayer. All we have to do is say, Jesus, we acknowledge you and we believe. And that that belief, Lord, we see through our lives. And so today I pray, God, that you would have your way in the hearts of everybody here. Lord, may there not be a distraction. May it just be you right now speaking to us. If there's any freedom that we need from anything spoken today or during the powerful time of worship this morning, would you show up and show off in our lives, God? And if there's anybody here that needs you, reveal yourself to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.